Well, today is Palm Sunday, and there's no great crowds gathered around, you know, no pushing and shoving, invading the social distancing rules. You know, there's, there's, there's none of all this commotion going on. No, no, for the most part, throughout our country and even throughout the world, this day is being celebrated in homes as tens of millions upon tens of millions of followers of Christ are gathered together in their homes to worship their king. Hosanna, we say, save us. It is at the same time both a beautiful thing and a sad thing. What a sweet thought to have our families together, worshiping together in their living rooms. What a, what a sad thought of having empty churches just waiting to, to burst open again with joyful worshipers. Palm Sunday is a great high point of Jesus' incredibly powerful earthly ministry. So many miracles, so much authoritative teaching, so much love, so much wisdom and hope. The crowds welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as their king, as the Messiah. Hosanna, they cried. Well, today on Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking at uh, one of Jesus' final miracles, just days before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This miracle was a great crescendo that proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. This was so convincing was the miracle that the religious leaders called an emergency meeting to plan their their plot to kill Jesus. We see that in John 11, 45 and following. They were so pervasive in their plan, so relentlessly going after Jesus, that it says Jesus was no longer able to walk among the Jews, as verse 54 says. The miracle was so convincing that even Jews throughout were believing in Jesus. As John 12, 11 says, that on account of him, many Jews were going away believing in Jesus. This miracle sets the stage for the whole Passion Week. This miracle shouts the divinity of Christ. This miracle shows his power and his love. This miracle is an undeniable fact confirming that Jesus is the master of life and death. This miracle proves that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. This miracle is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Well, please turn in your Bibles with me. Hopefully you have them there at your home in uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And let's read together verses uh, 1 through 44, actually through this whole uh, story of the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet, uh, wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, 
It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the the Jews were now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When Jesus, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb. To weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that 
if you believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Father, now we've read this incredible account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. The story of Mary and Martha and and all the dynamics of it. Lord, we pray now the truth of this account will challenge us and comfort us. Bring your word alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are several ways to outline this important miracle. And I want to take one important theme that runs throughout this passage and highlight it. It's the theme of love. Love might not be the first thing you think about in the story of the death and the raising of Lazarus, but, but it's a powerful truth that is woven throughout this passage. What real love is, is a powerful truth that we as believers need to understand. We must know what love is, especially in these times of difficult questions. How Jesus shows his love in this passage must shape our understanding of true love. So let's look closely at verses 1 through 6. We'll see that Jesus demonstrates his love by delay. Verses 1 through 2 gives us the people and the location. The location is the village of Bethany, which is just on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. Verse 18 tells us that Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem. That's like the distance from here at the church to Struthers High School. Or the distance from here at the church to Giant Eagle in Poland. That's how close these two cities were together. And it also tells us the main people that are involved. Lazarus is the brother, and he's very ill. And there's Mary and Martha and their sisters. Luke 10 relates another story of one of Jesus stays with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And in Luke 10, it tells us that the house was Martha's house. She was probably a widow and had her sister and brother living with her. Lazarus was probably the, bringing in the main income for the family. It was not typical for women of that day to have a separate income outside the home. If you notice verse 1 in the passage, though the house is Martha's, the village is described as Mary's. Mary was popular in this small village. She's well-known. She's well-liked. She's well-connected. So we get a little picture of this close-knit family. Lazarus brought in the income. Martha took care of the home. Mary was the helper and encourager. It seems like from the scriptures that their home was a favorite resting stop for Jesus on his many travels to and from Jerusalem. The Bible records for us three separate visits of Jesus to their home in Luke 10 and John 11 that we just read, and then in John 12. This was a close family that regularly had Jesus staying in their home. They had a close, intimate friendship with Jesus. 
As verse 5 says, Jesus loved them, and they loved Jesus. These are deep, significant relationships. They loved each other. In verse 3, because there are so many Marys, John tells us exactly which Mary he's talking about by referring to Mary's actions that are detailed for us later there in John chapter 12. This is the Mary that anoints Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and wipes his feet with her hair. See, this isn't just a bit of information here. No, this is to further help us understand just how close this family was with Jesus. In verse 1, it says that Lazarus is ill. In verse 2, it says that Lazarus is ill. And then, in verse 3, guess what it says? Lazarus is ill. I think we're supposed to get the point that Lazarus is ill. And that that it's a critical illness. It's a serious illness. Lazarus doesn't have a cold. Lazarus is near death. So the sisters, knowing so well that Jesus is a healer, having seen him heal so many other people, they know that Jesus can heal their brother. So they send a message to be delivered, that simple but a poignant message. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lord, he whom you love you love is ill. What a powerful statement. There there didn't need to be a name. There didn't need to be a lot more details. There was no need to tell Jesus what you wanted him to do. See, the situation is clear. The need is obvious. All Mary and Martha wanted to do was tell Jesus that the one he loved, Lazarus, was very ill. Mary and Martha's request was desperate, but it's also trusting. Mary and Martha, over and over again throughout this passage, express their faith in Jesus. They fully trusted in Jesus. They knew all we have to do is share with him the burden of our heart. We can trust Jesus to respond exactly the right way. How many times in our lives have we prayed such a prayer? in times of desperation, in times of loss? How many times have we cried out to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. Lord, the one you love has been in a car accident. Lord, the one you love has just been diagnosed with cancer. Lord, the one you love is in so much pain. (coughs) How many times have we come to our Lord with just the simple prayer, Lord, The one you love is ill. There are many this day in our church, in our community, throughout our country that are praying that simple, powerful, trusting prayer. A simple, emotional, heart-rending prayer of trust and faith. Jesus, the one you love, they need you to help them. The situation is dire. Verse 4 records Jesus' response to the message. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness will not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's the message he gave to the messengers to take back to Mary and Martha. 
So we would kind of expect that the next thing Jesus would do would be to get up and start going to Bethany. He just essentially told them, hey, I got this. I'm going to take care of this. God is going to be glorified in this. But look at verse 5 and 6. Very important verses in this chapter. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So how does Jesus respond? Not at all like we would expect. He delays. He doesn't jump up from a seat, go running to Bethany to help his friend. No, he stays two days longer where he is. And not only that, but Jesus already knows something. As verse 14 tells us, Jesus already knows that Lazarus is dead. For the timing of the four days to work out, Lazarus would have died on the very same day that the messengers were sent. That would have been the very first day. Jesus delayed two days, and then on the fourth day went to Bethany. When Jesus tells the disciples in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. At first they don't understand, so Jesus tells them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus has died. Jesus shows his omniscience as God, knowing that Lazarus has died. But did you notice something? In verse 4 it says, this illness does not lead to death. And then in verse 14, Jesus says, Lazarus has died. So, so what is it? You see, Jesus knows the ultimate end of this illness will not be Lazarus's death. But instead, it will be to bring about great glory to God and to Jesus himself. Lazarus has died. But as Jesus said in verse 11, I go to awaken him. So now let's take a moment and reset the scene. Jesus has sent the messengers back to Mary and Martha, saying, the illness will not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. But by the time the messengers reach Mary and Martha, Lazarus has already died. Think about that. What a, what a faith challenge for Mary and Martha to believe Jesus as they do, to trust his very words, and yet not be able to fully understand He's not going to die, but he's already dead. How's God going to be glorified in that? You see, from their point of view, and very understandably, they were thinking that the best way for God to be glorified would be through the healing of Lazarus from his illness. How could God be glorified? By his death. Now, they totally believe that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. They both exclaim with faith to Jesus later in our passage, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They totally believe that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. But now Jesus didn't show up. Jesus didn't come and save the very one that he loved. Can't you feel in the midst of their faith a tinge of lament, a a smidge of a question? Can't you hear their heart saying to Jesus, Jesus, why didn't you come? Why didn't you heal? Why didn't you rush and save the day? We believe in you. We trust you. We love you, and you, you love us. 
Why didn't you stop this heartache from happening? Martha makes one of the most clear statements of faith in Jesus in all of the Gospels. And in verse 27, she says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the Son of God. She believes. The problem wasn't her faith. The problem wasn't her theology. The problem was that Jesus didn't do what she expected him to do. He didn't come through. She thought that since Jesus loved them, that Jesus would protect them from such loss and heartache. Anybody know those feelings? Anybody ever have those kind of thoughts? Anybody ever ever question Jesus because he didn't meet our expectations? So many of us know the heartache and the questions of loss. I've hugged people sobbing in their tears. Praying and asking, why? 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 So let's look again at verses 5 and 6. And just let the words soak in. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I believe these words were written to help us understand something very, very important, how Jesus loves us. Because from a simple human point of view, right, they don't make sense to us at all. When someone you love is deathly ill and you have the power to heal them, you don't purposely wait two more days till you come. You know, what's going on here, Jesus? How can that be love? We also struggle with wanting Jesus to meet our expectations, to, to come on our timetable. If it were up to us, this is what these verses would say. Now, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus so much that he, he got up right away and he left immediately to attend to their need and he healed Lazarus and he, and he made everything better. Or since Jesus had already done miracles without actually having to be where the sick person is, we might think verse 5 and 6 should say, Now Jesus loved Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus, so he immediately declared that Lazarus was now healed, and at that very hour, Lazarus was healed. We wonder in our hearts if Jesus really loved him. Right? He would not have let him die. He would have come right away. He would have healed him right away. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Well, verse 5 tells us clearly why. Look at verse 5. Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did Jesus wait two more days? Because he loved them. Because he loved them, and as verse 4 says, for the glory of God. Beloved, listen to this. Jesus' love for us is not about him meeting our earthly expectations. Jesus' love for us is not about him meeting our earthly expectations. 
It's not about making our lives full of comfort and ease. Jesus' love for us is not about eliminating the valley of the shadow of the death, of sickness, of heartache, or, or of, of loss, or, or thorns in our flesh. Jesus' love for us is not conditioned on him meeting our material and physical plight on earth. No, Jesus' love is far greater than that. Jesus' love is not focused on the temporal, but the eternal. It's not focused on the fleeting, but on the everlasting. Jesus' love for us is connected to him showing us his glory. Jesus' love for us is through our darkest valleys, is through our hardest days. We can see him. We can know him. We can grow in him. Jesus' love for us is connected to him by showing us who he is. Jesus' love for us is all about us growing and gaining true, spiritual, eternal insight. Jesus' love for us is about us knowing him and trusting him more and more. It's about displaying the glory of God. The most loving thing that Jesus can do is to reveal himself to you. It is more loving for Jesus to bring us through our loss and heartache than to just keep us from loss and heartache because the most loving thing that Jesus can do is reveal himself to us. See, Jesus uses the natural consequences of life. Jesus uses the suffering and loss. He uses our questions and loneliness. He uses our pain and disappointments of life to actually show us his love, to show us his glory. The best way we come to know the love of God, the best way that we come to experience the glory of God is when in the midst of the loss, of the suffering, God shows up with his grace, with his forgiveness, with his mercy, with his love, with his understanding, with strength. Jesus loves us so much. They didn't respond immediately to their need. Jesus loved them so much that he didn't answer their desperate prayer as they wanted. Jesus loved them so much that he didn't do for them what seemed like the loving thing to do. No, instead, Jesus loved them so much that he showed them his glory. Jesus loved them so much that he revealed himself to them. Beloved, eternity is real, very, very real. So what's more loving of God to do? To pamper us in this life or to help us understand the consequential, significant reality of eternity preparing us for the next life? I love this verse in the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 21. Powerful verse, important verse about the love of God. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. How does God love us? How does Jesus love us? He manifests himself to us. He reveals his glory to us. He exercises his lordship over our lives through his word, through his sovereignty. How does Jesus love us? He gives us hope. When we have no hope. He gives us strength when we are weak. He gives us forgiveness for our sins. He gives us himself. John 17.3 says. This is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God. 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is real. And eternal life is found only in knowing the one and only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. This is the life that Jesus wants for us. This is life. Knowing him, knowing God, eternal life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you see it? The Bible teaches us over and over again. Can you see it? It is actually through the very sufferings and hardships of our lives. It is through them that we come to know Christ. That we get to experience his love. Life difficulties are not a sign that Jesus doesn't love you. No, it is through those life difficulties where Jesus reveals his love, where he reveals his glory, where he reveals himself. God has not taken the last train for the coast during this coronavirus pandemic. No. He's here through these difficult days. Revealing his love, revealing his glory, revealing himself. How often do we miss the very love of God by not looking for his love and his wisdom and his glory in the midst of the heartaches and loss and questions of life? Oh, can't you see it? You are loved because it is through the very sufferings and hardships of life where we truly come to know Christ, where we truly get to experience his love. Oh, beloved, if, if you, if, if me, if we could grasp this truth, if we could make it our own, we could know the love of God like we've never known before. So what am I saying? God mainly doesn't love us by sparing us the hardships and sufferings and challenges of life. No, God mainly loves us by showing us himself. By giving us himself. Isn't that what Jesus did? Think about this. Isn't that what Jesus did? In his incarnation? In his perfect life? In his substitutionary death on the cross? In his powerful, vindicating resurrection. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He gave us himself. 
through his humility, through his suffering, through his pain, through his death. He showed us his love by giving us himself. You see, you are most loved by Jesus when Jesus gives you Jesus. You are most loved by Jesus when Jesus gives you himself. Jesus loves us mainly by giving us himself, his word, his life, his love. So, beloved, we do not measure God's love for us by how much health or wealth or comfort we have. We will not fall into the trap of the evil one. So we get our focus on ourselves to the point where God's love is all about us. Where God is all about giving us what we want. We dare not cheapen the sacrifice of Jesus Christ into the accumulation of things and to our wants and earthly temporary needs. If that were the measure of God's love, then God hated the apostles. Then God hated those Old Testament prophets. Then God hated his own son because all of them suffered so greatly. You see, the measure of God's love is not in the ease and health and comfort of this life. The biblical record is clear. The best way to measure God's love is how he manifests his love to us in his life, in his word. We measure God's love by Jesus manifesting, disclosing himself to us. We measure God's love for us by how much of himself he gives to us to know him and to enjoy him throughout the challenges and difficulties of life. Oh, beloved, by that measure, by that measure of God's love, we are so bountifully, abundantly, overflowingly loved by God. It's true. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God is made manifest among us, that God has sent his only Son so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. I am loved. You are loved. Loved by Jesus because he came and lived that perfect life. He died and rose again, bringing salvation, hope, and eternal life to us. We are so loved. Now, I know that's, that's not anywhere near what the definition of what the world thinks God's love should be like. The world around us tells us that if God really loves us, then he should give us what we want, that we should have these perfect lives of health and wealth and comfort and ease. But we're believers. We don't take our definition of God's love from the world. We take our definition of God's love from his word. To be loved for the Christian is to know Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, to see his glory manifested in our lives. There are many in our church who can testify to this love. There are those who could stand up right now, even in their homes, and testify that they have tasted the depths of the love of God in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their loss. 
Jesus showed up and loved. Suffering is real, but it's that very heartache that opens a door of our hearts for Jesus to show up, for Jesus to manifest his love for us, for Jesus to take us to deeper places of our understanding of his grace and his mercy, of his love, our understanding of him that we could never find. Our life journey's not easy. But today, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at him in the very midst of loss and sacrifice and loneliness, in the very midst of questions and heartaches. Let him show you himself. Let him manifest his abounding love to you through his word, through the cross, through his offer of eternal life for you. Oh, I hope and pray that you've somehow caught a glimpse through the feeble words of this feeble preacher of the depth and the power and the beauty and the intimacy of the sustaining love of which you are loved by Jesus. Well, let's end with these powerful words from Laura's story song blessings. She wrote, we pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while, you hear each spoken need, yet you love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because if your blessings come through raindrops, what if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. And we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love as if every promise of your word is not enough. All the while, you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. What if my greatest disappointments, what if the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst that this world can't satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, what if they're your mercies in disguise? What if God's blessings, God's love comes through the raindrops. You are most loved by Jesus when Jesus gives you Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, now we thank you so much for this account, this truth, your scriptures, and what it teaches us so radically different from our culture, 
so wonderfully intimate and true about you, about your son, about your spirit. Lord, help us to love you in our love for you, to be obedient to your word, and then you disclose yourself. You manifest yourself through your word, through our lives, in our difficulties. Father, even now, as some are in their homes, maybe listening at this moment, they've never embraced the fact that Jesus loves them. Help them right now to understand the love of Jesus. How he came to give his life as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice, his love for us. They might call right now in your own words and a prayer sitting right there on your couch to pray to Jesus who loves you so, who provided the only way of salvation through the cross. Lord, you are mysterious. Lord, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And yet you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We seek you. We worship you. We love you because you loved us first. In Jesus' name.